Good morning, church. Our reading is from chapter three of Paul's letter to the Colossians, verses one through four. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. This is the living word of God for us today. Amen, and thank you, Carthy. So let us turn our attention to the text for today. Um, this passage that we're covering, chapter three, verses one through four, is, uh, is the swing verses as Paul is making his shift uh, in doctrine to praxis from, here's the biblical truth, so now here's how you live. It is so fundamental for grasping the entirety of the book. To get into it, I want to ask you a question, and this time I want you to answer, okay? It's not a hard question. So several areas, you just yell it out, so there's no, I'm not going to say, that's not right. You know, you're going to know this is, we all have answers to this. It's a very simple question that goes like this. As Christians, why do we sin? We're Christ followers. Why do we sin? How would we answer? How, what, would be, what would be some answers? There's many. What would be some answers? Why do we sin? Our nature. Our nature fallen nature. Why else do we sin? Self-preservation. Because we're people. Yes. Why else do we sin? We choose to sin. You know, we could go on and on. You get it. There's a number of reasons why we sin. I want to suggest that what Paul's going to describe for us in this passage, and quite frankly, you'll see, I think he's, he describes it in all of his letters, is that while there's a number of reasons why we sin, if you boil them down or if you go, you know, if you sin and you go, well, you go underneath the sin, I think if you go far enough underneath, you'll find that there is one reason that we sin. And yes, it can be expressed in all these others. In other words, let's just say, you know, you know don't touch, you know, it's, don't the, you know, don't touch the microphone and we touch it. Well, we sin. But I want to suggest that before we ever sin, where you can see it, that we actually sinned back here. That there's a sin before the sin. And this is... Not good news in this sense. Every time we sin, we actually sin twice. Now, what is that sin behind the sin that we do? Rather than explain it to you, I'm going to let it be described to you in a movie clip from one of my favorites, which is Lion King. And you're gonna watch this four-minute clip from the uh, first Lion King, which I like a lot better than the second one, that's just me. But uh, I want you to watch, and we're asking this question, what's the sin behind every sin? Take a look at this. <laughs> I think you're a little confused. Wrong. I'm not the one who's confused. You don't even know who you are. Oh, and I suppose you know. Sure do. You're Mufasa's boy. <gasps> Bye. 
Hey, wait! You know my father? Correction, I know your father. I hate to tell you this, but he died a long time ago. Nope, wrong again. <laughs> He's alive, and I'll show him to you. You follow old Rafiki, he knows the way. Come on. behind every harmful attitude or foolish act is the sin of forgetting who you are. Though there's that sin, but before I ever did that, I forgot who I am. Now, we've spent four months in the first two chapters of Colossians. Why would we spend so much time on these two chapters? Because in all of Paul's letters, quite frankly, most of them at least, he follows that familiar pattern where he says, this is who you are, now go live in light of it. This is your identity, and this will be your activity. Never get those backwards 
That's what was happening in the previous section when people were saying, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. Rob walked us through it last week. It was do this activity so that you can be this. That's legalism. That's religion. That is a false gospel. And so in chapters one and two, Paul grounds us in our identity in Christ. He is going to get very specific about activities we do. And before he does, he takes these four verses and they are that, it's that hinge verse that's loaded for us with theological and practical significance. I'm gonna walk through these three verses under three headings that I think will, will help us understand it best. And that is a past reality, a present activity, and a future certainty. I'll say it again and I'll say it as I go through. There's a past reality. There's a present activity that we're to be about right now. And there is a future certainty that is ours. If you follow along in your Bibles, if you have your little booklet, you know we've been putting boxes around references to Christ. And so that's where we'll start. Look at verses one through four, and you'll see it on the screen as well. If we put a box around references to Christ, we notice in verse one, we've been raised with Christ. There's number one, put a box around that. End of verse one, the things that are above where Christ is. Go down to verse three, you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Verse four, when Christ, there's a fourth time a reference to Christ, who is your life. And then the last part of verse four, also, you also will appear with him in glory. Now, now let's just step back, biblical Bible study methods, words repeated, if we just said, wow, I wonder what these four verses are about. What would we say? I mean this, it's not, yes, you see that? So let's not get away from that. Again, again, notice before he goes to the practical application, he just says, Christ, 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 Christ. Now, we're gonna start with a past reality. Look at verse one, it's just the first part of it. And then I'm gonna grab verse three. If then you have been raised, past tense, have been raised with Christ. Look at verse three. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, this is a past reality. When he says, if then you have been raised, some of you have the NIV, we study from the ESV, and it says, since you have been raised. And that is an absolutely proper and better translation because it interprets it correctly. It's not, I wonder if you've been, you're being raised with Christ is not in question. Why do we know that? Because of the context. Because chapter two, all through chapter one and two, he said, you're in Christ, you've been raised with Christ. You were buried with Christ, you were raised with Christ. You were transferred from darkness. You know, it's a fact that if you've trusted Christ, you have been raised with Christ. You've got to think back if this is a timeline, past, present, future. It, it, for those of you who've trusted Christ, there was a time in the past that you put your faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we noted in chapter two that when you believed that God reckoned that you were actually 
crucified with Christ, you were buried with Christ, and you were raised with Christ. That, that is, you were identified in that way. That is who you are in Christ. He says you're hidden with Christ, hidden with Christ in God. What's that hiddenness he's talking about? Well, think again, it's him saying you're in Christ, you're hidden in Christ. Now, it adds some nuance because this idea of hidden with Christ in God carries with it at least these two ideas. To be hidden with Christ in God is to be so safe and secure, it's beyond our comprehension. Your security in Christ is, and it's so fundamental that we know that security. He, he's really, and I think, interpreting or restating, in a sense, what Christ himself said of those who trust him. John 10, 28 and 29. Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. You're a Christian, you're in the hand of Jesus. And then he says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. Could you imagine a more secure place than in the hand of the one by whom the whole world was created and made and his hand wrapped in the father's hand? My goodness, this is assurance of our salvation have you, if you've truly put your faith in Christ. That's a part of being hidden. But there's a second part of being hidden, and that is um, the world can't see your hiddenness. Now, I'm gonna unpack that a little bit in, in a moment, but I just want you to hold on to that. The world can't grasp um, how you are hidden with Christ in God. You can just set that down right over there. I'm gonna grab that in a minute. Um, so that's our past reality. There's a past reality we are in Christ. How about our present activity? Look at verse one again. If then you have been raised with Christ or since you have been raised with Christ, here's the present activity. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above not on the things that are on earth. Two very similar commands, right? Set or seek things above. Uh, set your mind on things above. Got it. Then he qualifies both of those with the seek above where Christ is seated at the right hand of, of the Father of God. And then set your mind on things above, not on things that are on earth. Let's take seek and set. To seek is to go after something, plain and simple. There's an energy by which you exert and you go after it. To set your mind is another way of saying focus and concentrate on. That is to set your mind. A little bunny trail. At Fellowship, our mission is to help people find whole-hearted life in Jesus. And that means our thoughts, emotions, desires, and choices, the heart, according to scripture, it's who we are. These four parts of our heart, they're all important. They're all essential. You can't remove a part and be wholehearted. And yet the Bible clearly says that the mind has a priority. I don't want you to miss this. 
that are transfer, you know, when you come to faith in Christ, it's because you believe. You gotta have, you gotta know and believe something. When Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, our, trans- our salvation and our transformation begins with our thoughts and in our minds. So that's why we teach the Bible. That's why we study the things that we do. So let's not miss that. And that's what he's saying here. You gotta set your mind on things above. If the setting is the energy, then, or, or the seeking is the energy, then the setting of the mind is, is the focused energy upon something. Well, he says on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He says, not on things on earth. What's he talking about? He's not talking about physical, material things. Listen to Jesus' words in Matthew 6, You recall that Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things in his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. See, the point Jesus is making there and Paul's making here is we're to seek and set our mind on Things above, Christ's rule and reign, right hand of the Father, rule and authority, not on things on the earth, the kingdom of this world. It's not, don't, you know, don't think about your car and your possessions and your house. It's not that. It's seek and set your mind on the kingdom of God, the values of God, the priorities of God's kingdom, not the values and priorities of this world. There's, there are massive distinctions, is there not? between the two. Imagine that you have planned a vacation for a year. You budgeted for it. It's time to go. A vacation of a lifetime. You've packed everything. You've, you've called the Uber. You've set it up. You know, they've clicked, they're on their way. Be there in 30 minutes. They're taking you to the airport, catch your flight. And you realize, I can't find my phone. My phone which is my camera, which is everything. I said this at Brentwood, by the way, last week, and there was a lady on the front row. She goes, oh my gosh, I did that. And I went, oh my, what happened? You know? Well, I can assure you, where she set about finding her phone was, she, she set about with some energy and with some focus. Do you know what I'm saying? It's not like, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make some coffee too before we go. So I, no, I'm gonna go after my phone because I, I need to have that. And that's the idea that Paul is getting at for us that we would seek and set our minds on things above. You know, if, if, I, if I tried to give you a, a, a thought around this, I had, I had this image in my mind and I'll give it to you. What he's describing here and you've probably seen this, you know. I, I, these things are kind of weird to me and crazy, but you've been to the mall, you know, and someone's, someone's checking out the virtual reality stuff. You know how they do that. You know, they put that, you put that, put this virtual reality thing on your head, right? Don't take pictures. Don't post anything on social media with me with this. But, you know, it's, it's, it's like virtual reality. And so now, you know, my reality is right here. I'm not seeing you. I, this is my reality. And you know when you have virtual reality goggles on, do you know what your body does? You know, you're, 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 you're looking at me like, he's crazy. Well, I'm not because this is my reality and my body follows my reality. And this is that gets back to that idea, if I can say this, of hiddenness in that I said, you know, the world can't see 
your hiddenness in Christ. What Paul's instructing us to do in this present activity is to not reach for virtual reality, right? He's really encouraging us to reach for ultimate reality. And I mean this when I say this. This is ultimate reality. And he says, seek it, set your mind on it such that, you know what? Your, your body is actually doing things that don't make sense to everyone in the world. And that's a fact. <laughs> that, you know, you're, you're doing things that those who don't know Christ, you know, would, would go, you're foolish. That, why would you do that? Because you're doing things based on your ultimate reality, which is, and this is literal, in the, which is the written and the incarnate word of God. It's the person of Jesus. He's my reality. And therefore, my life looks like what he's telling me, not what the world is telling me. That's what this looks like. And I'm gonna tell you, when you live that way, you could be made fun of. You could be told, you could be, you know, dismissed. You know, you're a fruitcake person, spiritual stuff. I'm telling you, that's what will happen. But lose, do not lose heart because if we live that present reality and people don't get us, that's okay. Because there is a future certainty. See, here's the beauty. Look at verse four. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. That's our future, y'all. I mean, it, this world may hurt you, you know, hurt us. Paul's writing from a prison cell. But, but he, he knows that the future certainty that Christ is coming back one day will set all things right. And when he comes back, we will see him as he is because we will be like him. And the whole world will bow their knee and recognize Jesus as Lord and recognize, you know, wow, those Christians were right. <laughs> I don't say that arrogantly at all. I'm just saying this is the future certainty that holds us in our present when our life doesn't make sense to many around us. You know, our, our glory in Christ is so certain, Paul speaks of it in past tense. Y'all know that. Romans 8, 30, he writes, and those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Past tense, glorified. Well, Paul, we're not there yet. Well, it's so certain he speaks in that prophetic present tense, prophetic present tense of it's done, it's done. We're glorified. Paul's used a number of terms to describe our identity, you all, in Christ, you know, fundamentally, you've been raised from darkness to light, etc. But there is a phrase I want to pause on in verse four that honestly, when I really think about it, 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 it jolted me. Look at verse four again. When Christ who is your life. Okay, look, what do you, what do you mean by um, we're in Christ? Christ is your life. What, what do you mean Christ is our identity? Well, Christ is your life. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. How does Paul, Paul, Paul says it. Christ, who is your life. 
You know, we'll often say, I've said this, or people may say, you know, her children are her life. Um, Her work is her life. You know, that ministry is his life. You know so-and-so? Yeah, them, yeah. Well, can I tell you what? You know what? Their, their, their whole life is their grandchildren. Their, their grandchildren, it's their life. All good things, all right, wouldn't you say? But, you know, when we take that, and I don't know we mean it figuratively, but in essence, we, we could take it to say, you know, their whole life is consumed by and focused upon that. Unless we think that's just an analogy and not true, I, I, I want you to pause and think for a moment. What is your, I mean, what, what, would, how would, what would you stand up and say, hey, tell us what your life is? What would you say? Would, would come, would come out, what would come out of your mouth? What would people say if nothing came out of your mouth if they just looked at your life and watched how you lived and listened to you talk and knew you? Would they say, you know, that's, see what I'm saying? Because Christ, who is your life, is a theological fact. It's a doctrinal truth. It's a spiritual reality. But is it a practical way you live your life? It's true biblically. Is it true practically in our lives? I'm telling you this because when it's not, Uh, it is one of the most precarious ways that we could ever live. Lisa and I, this was a little later in our kids, raising our kids, because we, you know, all of us as parents could look back and go, man, we messed up, and we do. That's part of it, kids. You know, you get to have imperfect parents. Um, But, you know, when, when I began to understand the nature of the heart, the emotional life, the fullness of the wholehearted life in Jesus, these things. Um, Lisa and I began to parent differently. And one of the things we tried to communicate to our kids, you know, we'd say, we'd literally say it and, and we just tried to live it this way. But one of the things we tried to communicate to them is that they are not the most important thing in our life. Uh, they are not the center of our family. In fact, you know, Lisa and I try to communicate to one another. I love you. I'm married to you for life. But you're not the most important thing in my life. Now, why do I say that when when those things are the most important thing in our life, that, that it's a various dangerous place to be? Here's why I say this. Because spouses die before we want them to. Because families crumble and marriages fall apart and parents bury children and grandparents bury grandchildren. Friendships unravel and companies go bankrupt and churches implode. And death will come for all of us. So, so whatever we say, you know, if, whatever, I think more importantly maybe is what do people say of us in a sense? Like do they, do, what do they see as my life? But, point Paul's making and I'm trying to make here is if your life is in anything that sin can break or death can take 
you are in for disappointments and losses you may never recover from. If your life is in anything that sin can break it or death can take it, it will, and you may never recover from that. So whatever you choose to make your life, can it pass this test? Can sin break it or death take it? And until you land upon that thing which passes that test, you've not landed upon God's intention for you and for me. And I'll save you the trouble of searching because there's only one thing in the universe that sin can't break and death can't take. And it's your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. Oh, he's the center of all things. Do you see? This is Colossians. This is our hope. This is our life. Christ and Christ alone. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up because we will respond appropriately with a song. I love the team's work on liturgy and how we do our worship services. And you'll note that most oftentimes, not always, we will respond in a song because it's appropriate to respond to the truth by reaffirming that truth. As Paul says in Ephesians and even here in Colossians, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs to one another. But it's also appropriate that we end in application. And so I'm gonna ask you as they get ready to pause and I'm asking you, you know, oh, okay, you understand the message. What's your application of the message? What is the spirit inviting you to trust him for, believe him for? If you've never trusted Christ, that's, that's do not pass go, do not collect $200. That's where everything begins is by falling before Christ saying, I need you and I, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. We're buried and rose again. I believe you did that for me. That's the beginning of life. For those who've trusted Christ, is Christ your life? You know, I, I, you know, I, I can't always say that, so hear me on this. But I'm gonna tell you something. Paul is speaking to us and God is speaking through us, Colossians now, inviting us to reevaluate today. Is Christ your life? He's everything. He's all. I want you to ask the Spirit of God to, to guide you in your own application. Would you do that right now for a few moments?